Today, we have a very simple theme for the service, and I'm going to make you guys talk to me a little bit more than normal today, and so if you're just not about that, you can be a grumpy pants in church, and that's okay, but the rest of you guys are going to be with me. But before we get into the theme of the day, I wanted to start with, with just a little piece of information, and it's funny how many times I get comments where people are like, oh, I just remember that story. I'm like, I hope you remember what the story was illustrating when it was pointing you towards, not just that I got stuck in a boat or ate a chewed up nugget from one of my kids' slushies, like the, not those pieces, but the, what it points towards. Because today as we get into our theme, I want to start with a reminder. Do you know what to do if a bear were to ever walk up on you? Yeah. Using the bathroom is not the best option, but probably will feel the most natural. What they tell you to do is that you should make yourself bigger. You should puff up the chest, you should bring your arms up over your head, and you should try not to really make eye contact, but try to just back out of the situation, but get big. And I have to say that if I was ever confronted with a bear in the wild, staying calm and being courageous would probably be the last things on my mind. Because what do you want to do if you're faced with a bear out in the wild? Run! That's right! But everything that we've, we know and that we've seen is that if you just turn and run, and whether it's a dog or a mountain lion or a bear, if you just turn and run, that animal will chase you. It's just ingrained in the way that their brain works. And so what we've learned as people, and it's kind of funny, with black bears, you're supposed to get, get big, and you're supposed to make noise, and if it attacks you, you're supposed to fight back. Throw that right hook at a black bear. But if it's a grizzly bear... You get big, you try to get back, and if it attacks you, you're supposed to play dead because you ain't winning that fight. And your only hope is that it just stops. And the idea of being in one of those situations is funny. Uh, a former teacher in North Carolina was just faced with a black bear on her porch, and it was eating out of her bird feeders. And so she, thankfully, through a window, was like, hey, stop doing that. And it just kind of looked at her and annoyed her, and she turned on the teacher voice. She was a former teacher. It works on everything, apparently. She flipped on the teacher voice and was like, how dare you? Get away from my bird feeder. And, and it ran off and ran away. And I think it'd be easier to stay calm through the glass. It's much easier to stay calm through the hypothetical situation. But when things actually get difficult, the way that we react to situations when someone hurts us, the way that we react to situations when it didn't work out the way that we planned, there's a moment where you choose, you have to choose to take courage in those situations because if you just let your emotions drag you into your immediate reaction, you know it's going to be painful. You know it's going to get worse. You know you're going to damage your relationship. You know you're going to damage your integrity. There's this moment where we just have to make the choice to take courage. And today, that, that, that's the theme as we look at the prophet Elijah. I'm going to just try to give you a little bit of an overview of his life and some of his ministry, but I'm going to say it a few times, and whenever you hear me say, take courage, I need you to say, take courage, because I have to know that this is going to get ingrained in some hearts and some heads today. So when I say, take courage, you say, take courage. All right, so if I say, take courage, you say, all right, very good. That's going to be the ground rules for today. 
Our passage that we're going to look at, uh, we'll get there in a second. I'm going to give you some background first, but we're going to be in 1 Kings 17 if you want to start getting your Bible ready. But we're going to be looking at the prophet Elijah. And Elijah is a very interesting character in Scripture because we don't have a lot of background information on him. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 17, when he hits the page, it's kind of like just boom, here's Elijah. No information about his family, no information about his upbringing really, except for where he was from. And he just kind of pops right onto the scene. Elijah's name, it it means my God is Jehovah. And this is an interesting thing to note because the king that Elijah had to deal with for the most part was King Ahab. And Ahab, in the previous chapter, in chapter 16, he is described as being one of the most evil of kings. And he took a wife from Sodom that, Sidon, I'm sorry, Sidon, that, that was that brought with her all kinds of Baal worship, and he built a temple to Baal. He didn't just engage in the worship, he expanded it in God's kingdom. And so he was so far from God. And so, first of all, to understand that just even the act of Elijah introducing himself to King Ahab of saying, my God is Jehovah, like that is his name. To say, I'm a prophet and my God is Jehovah, there was already going to be issues between him and Ahab. And he was, he was a man of God. And as he came onto the pages of 1 Kings 17, we immediately see this interaction between him and Ahab where he is putting himself in a dangerous situation. So we'll put the, these up on the screen as I read it, starting at verse 1 of 1 Kings 17. And it says, Now Elisha, the Tishbite, from, from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord of God, the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward and hide in Kareth ravine east of Jordan. You will drink from the brook and, have, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now for Elijah to speak to King Ahab and say there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, at this time, water was life. And when, when drought came, your crops died, your livestock died, The rivers would dry up and families would die. Like we can't, we don't even see it the same way. I mean, I compare it like when I'm trying to explain to my kids that Netflix used to come in the mail and they just look at me like I'm crazy. Or when our grandparents told us that they walked uphill both ways to school through the snow and we looked at them like they're crazy. Or when people, if we were to try to explain to a previous generation that we would be flying through the air one day, they would look at us like we were crazy. There's such a huge disconnect between our generation that has indoor plumbing these last hundred years that have had it and the generations that had to go and find water. It is an extreme disconnect. And for him to prophesy and say, except for at my word, it would put the vision of King Ahab saying, this is the sole problem. He wasn't believing in the Lord God. He wasn't expecting God to act, but he saw this one prophet as the troublemaker who was responsible for it. And, and Elijah said, except for at my word, there will be no rain. To carry this message 
You know, I started off talking about to stand before a bear and know what to do and know how to act, to carry this message before a king who was ruthless and evil. There was a choice that Elijah would have to make where he would just say, okay, God has told me to do this and I just need to take courage. Take courage. Yes, one person with me. Elijah had to choose to take courage. All right, he had a calling by God. It brought him to a place where he had to have a difficult conversation. And he had to have that courage to speak it out. And I want to just first for you say and understand, there will be times where God gives you a word and it will be difficult for you to share it. There will be a conversation that you know you need to engage in, but there will be part of your heart that is reluctant to do it. An example after example of those who followed God, we have to take courage into those situations and speak the words that we have to speak. When God, ha- and, and this is the beautiful thing, God will speak to you, but it is not just for you usually. When he gives you a step that you need to take or a word that you need to share, if he calls you to be generous, if he calls you to serve, the reason that God speaks to you is to impact other people. Even when he is drawing your heart close to him, even at that personal relationship level where he just says, you need to get your heart right with me. At the end of the day, when you get your heart right with God, it impacts those who surround you. There is always implications when you follow God. It will change other people's lives when you follow God. When you serve, it will change people's lives. When you speak what he's put on your heart, it will change people's lives. When you give, it will change people's lives. And so when he gives you that calling, even if it feels difficult, you need to do it. The, second part, the next part of the passage that I want to kind of lean into is that there is that word of the Lord that came to Elijah. You, you, when a word of the Lord comes to you, you better do something about it. You better move. You better go. You better take courage. I, no, I snuck up on you. You better take courage because when God gives you something to say, there's a season for it. I want you to know like there's a timing to a word from God. There's a timing to him drawing your heart towards himself. And when we miss those timings, we miss out on opportunities to see God do tremendous works. This was not a word that Elijah could hold on to for another time, a better, a, a better emotional status, like the king's in a bad mood, like it, there was no waiting. This was a message that needed to be delivered. And this is a spiritual principle that I believe we see throughout, throughout our lives. Delayed obedience is disobedience. When God pushes you to take a step, You have to take that step. And as this word of the Lord came to Elijah, he knew that it needed to be shared and he knew that God was about to do something and what God was about to do was gonna create some difficult situations for Elijah. Because once he delivered this word, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, he gave the message and the word of the Lord came to Elijah and he said, leave here, turn eastward and hide in Kareth. The next message from God was what introverts love to hear, go and be by yourself. Go to a place that no one else can find you. And as he went there, first of all, there was a blessing from God that there was water there, there was a brook. And when there's no dew and there's no rain, God provided for him something to drink, but he also provided food from a very unlikely place. 
the ravens. Now, I don't know if you thought through some of the practical implications of being fed by ravens, but to me, the two different options that I see it, neither one of them are kosher. Um, they, They weren't something that a good Jewish person would want to have to do, and neither one of them are sanitary, because either that raven is carrying you food with their little talons, their little bird feet, which... I don't know if you've ever watched birds, but they don't wash their hands before serving food. Or they carried it in their beaks. Ravens were scavengers, not predators. And so they were tearing flesh off of an already dead animal and carrying it to Elijah. I think I would be making sure all of my food is well done as I cooked it over the fire. Right? I mean, normally that's not how I would take my steak, but when this mystery meat that is showing up, I, I mean, we just don't know. Like, we hope it was something good, but it could have been rat, it could have been possum, it could have been whatever. Like, you pick your dead animal, and that's where the raven was finding it. And, and maybe your theology would say, well, God would only provide the very best. Like, it was always going to be oxen, it was always going to be Kobe cuts from the best part of the oxen. Maybe, but we just don't have that information. What we do have is that it was scraps of meat that ravens brought there. And some people look at this situation differently. Some people will say this was, this was a miracle of God where, where the ravens were bringing the food right to Elijah. Some people theorize that there would have been a raven nest and Elijah was basically just supposed to steal the food from the baby ravens whenever the mama bird would bring it back. And it doesn't really matter how you see that. Either way, God instituted and said, these things are going to serve you. And every morning there was bread and meat and every evening there was bread and meat. I preferred three meals a day. I don't know about you, but he had two. And so the question becomes, as he's here and he's making this decision of receiving food, like here's what God has provided for me, but there's part of him that probably said, this, this seems unclean, but it's God's provision. Like what happens when God begins to do something that didn't work out the way that you thought it would? What happens when God puts you in a situation and you're like, I shouldn't be in this situation, but then you see God's hand begin to move in it? Have you ever recognized that God doesn't always work in the way that you expect? There's been so many times in my life where it's like, I should not have to be dealing with this right now, and then God shows up and does something. I mean, it reminds me so much of before we planted the church, we went to this conference. We were living in Indiana at the time, and we went to a conference down in North Carolina, and while we were driving back, we were talking about all that we learned and so excited about the things we learned and how we'd apply it to a church plant in the future when we got to plant. And the one thing that I didn't do is one thing that I always do. I didn't look at the gas gauge. And I had a van full of people with me. And let me tell you, your ego can get fixed real quick when you're the idiot who ran out of gas with a van full of your church people. Like, follow me to go plant a church, friends. I can't even drive cars properly. Take courage, that's right. But the thing is that when we're in the middle of even one of those mess ups, we don't even see how God could use this. And and I am there and I'm like asking people to give me a ride to a gas station so I can buy a gas can and some gas and get our vehicle filled up. And I am just thinking, poor me, stupid me, like how could I do this? And, And then God, like seriously, I saw the guy walking up and I was like, that's him. Like I'd gotten rejected by like eight other people before and I was like, that's him, that's the guy I gotta talk to. 
Like I just knew it, it was written on his face. And he was like, yeah, I could do that for you. And as we get driving, and he says, so, so what's going on? I was like, well, you know, we're, I'm a pastor, we're gonna plant a church. And he's like, oh man. Like he had just experienced the death in his family. He's been far from God for, for far too long. And like this, this tough guy in his pickup truck who was older than me, and like, I mean, it was funny, when he turned on his car, his, his, his rap music started blaring, he's like, oh, sorry, and like, like turned that off, and had all these reasons to be embarrassed, but like, it became very evident that it was a divine appointment. And all of a sudden, running out of gas, that I was so frustrated about, wasn't a big deal anymore, So I saw how God was working in his life. There's so many times where it's like, this, like, God wouldn't want me to be delayed. God wouldn't want me to have difficulty. God wouldn't want me to lose this job. God wouldn't want me to have this argument. God wouldn't put me in this position. Maybe you would. God directed Elijah away from wherever his home was, out into the wilderness. Like, what was he doing all day? I mean, the internet connection was probably terrible there. The amenities were lacking. The pillows were non-existent. Like, I mean, he was just out there by himself with God and the ravens who would show up twice a day, not three times a day, not four times a day, not with an abundance of food, but with just enough. So when God calls you out somewhere and things are not as comfortable as you want, I think, I think one of the first questions is, is it that you don't have enough or you don't realize what you have is enough. Because we often think that we don't have enough, but really the issue is we don't recognize all of the blessings that God has already given us. And I think Elijah very, would have been very entitled to be like, God, where, like, what about the Ritz-Carlton? Like, what about the comfortable places? What about the palaces? Why don't you hide me in the best room of the palace? No, there's a brook here and there's ravens and that's, that's what you need and that's what you'll have. Now, I've shared this story before. It's actually from my, my pastor, and um, I, I love this story. It's about him and his son, his son Aaron. His son Aaron and grew up in a very humble household. My, my pastor, Pastor Greg Paris, he, he's been the pastor of Union Chapel since 1981, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, and so he, his son grew up in ministry, grew up in just a very simple household. And when Aaron got out into the career field, he was making a very simple income until he landed the dream job. And so Aaron had always been very generous with his church, giving his tithe regularly. And when he landed his dream job, it came with a dream salary. And when that dream salary hit his bank account, he looked at the 10% check he was about to write to the church and his pen got nervous because that was a bigger check than he'd ever written before. And so he called his dad for advice and said, Dad, am I really supposed to write a check for 10% of this salary? Like, this doesn't seem right. And Pastor Greg, like, he's been in ministry for a long time. He's wise, and he has this boldness to him that I just absolutely love. And so he said, Aaron, I understand your struggle. And Aaron, like, this is the boldness in Pastor Greg. He said, Aaron, you know that when I pray, God answers, right? And he said, yeah, I've seen God answer your prayers, dad. He's like, but you know, like God listens. Like when I pray, he acts. And Aaron said, yes. He said, okay, so I'm going to tell you what I pray before I pray it, because I just want to make sure you're on board. I'm going to pray to God that he would lower your salary back to a level that you would feel more comfortable giving at. 
because I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. And you know that God will answer my prayers. And, and so Aaron said, okay, okay, Dad, I don't need you to pray. Just stop right there. I got the message, and he understood. And it gets to this question of, like, we, we, we in one circumstance, we, we can take a blessing and it can become a burden. We can take something that's like, God gave me this great thing, and then we try to protect it from God. We have this whole instance of, like, where is enough for us? Like, if I have a little, I can share a little. But if God gives me a lot, can I share a lot? Can I have a soul that is healthy when I am poor? Can I have a soul that is, that is healthy when I am wealthy? Like, like, where will my heart be? Like, where is enough for me? Because the thing is, so many of us will get blessed with extra, but then our heart can't handle it. And it's not good for us. And so where is enough for you? Because what, what Rockefeller said, if you, John D. Rockefeller, he was one of the wealthiest individuals who ever lived. And when he was asked, and it was back in like 19, I, th- I think 36, when, when, when he passed, I think that was when he passed away. Um, but before he passed away, he was asked, when was enough money enough? Because he had over $16 billion back in that day. It was a crazy amount of money. And he was asked, when is enough money enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Why, why is it that our heart can never be satisfied by anything in this world? And if you have been buying after the lie that if I could just be a little bit more comfortable, if I could just have a little bit more, if I could just be a little bit more in this shape, if my kids could just act a little bit more this way, if I could drive a car that was just a little bit nicer, if I just had a little bit better title at work, a little bit more isn't going to cure your heart or your soul. And I think one of the beautiful things that God was doing with Elijah, that in this moment where everything just got simplified and he's out in the wilderness hiding, he needed to be content with just the provision of God. It was one of those moments. And so for you, maybe, maybe you've been having some struggle of just feeling like, I, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this, I need this thing, I need this thing, I need this thing, I need this thing that the world offers me, I need to have it. And maybe this is the moment where you need to take courage and say, I have everything that I need right here. Let, let me look at it, let, let's look at it this way. When those ravens were bringing the meat and the bread to Elijah. It would have been inappropriate for him to just kind of get into this moment of saying like, praise ravens from whom all mystery meat flows. Like, like to start singing praise, like the, the ravens, the ravens are so good. Like these ravens are so good to me. Like that, that would have been a poor understanding of the situation because God said that he sent the ravens. The blessing of the food was from God. It wasn't from the ravens. The provision of the food, it wasn't from the ravens. It was through the ravens. It was from God. And some of us have bought into the lie that the blessings that we have, the house that we have, the money that we have, the things that we have, it's come from our own hand. Or it's come from the business that we work for. Or from our employer. Listen to me. It's important that you get this right. That all of the blessings that you have, they, they are God's. And you get to steward some things for a little while before it passes from your hand in one way or the other. Because everything that you have will pass through your hands at some point in the future. 
And so we need to understand that what I have is not because I earned it. It's not because my employer gave it to me. And so if my ability to work or if my employer fires me, if any of that status changes, it's not like, oh, where's my provision going to come from? My order has been upset. If you understand that all of this comes from the hand of God, then you recognize that when, if the ravens go away, God's going to send a new provision. That if the brook dries up that God has been feeding me with, then God's going to send a new provision because my provider hasn't changed. Circumstances change all the time, don't they, church? But your provider never changes. And so you need to mentally have it together that if you're experiencing a change in job right now and maybe your heart is terrified at what's going to happen, your provider has not changed. Maybe you haven't been giving your provider enough glory for what you've been getting in your bank account, but you need to fix your perspective and understand it all comes from him. It all comes from his hand. So take courage. If you're in a spot where you don't know how the ends are going to meet, take courage because your provider is still on his throne. Amen? Amen. So he sent the ravens, but you know what? The situation, it, it soon changed. It's interesting, and we struggle with this because it's like God told him to go here, and he went here. But then what happened? Sometime, verse 7, sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath. Now listen, God will call you somewhere. He will call you to do something for a time and a season, and then he will move you somewhere else, and that's okay. But we struggle with, no, but God, it's been good here. The water's been here. Like, like what happened? Did, did, did I mess up? Did you take the water away because of something I said, something I thought, something I did? God moves things sometimes. And we have to understand, we're not just here for the raven. We're not just here for the brook of provision. We're here to be where God has placed us to be. And so God begins to move him. And the important thing is that when the word of the Lord came to him and said, you need to go to Zarephath, Elijah got his butt up and he moved. Because I understand it's scary when change happens. But what do we have to do? We have to take courage and we have to move. And so he said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. That's outside of Israel. That's actually where the evil queen who is part of the throne right now was from. And so he said, go there and stay there. I've directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called and asked, called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me a piece of bread. Please, a piece of bread. Verse 12, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied. Listen to like how serious this got. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day, of the, Lord, until the, day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went home and did as Elijah had told her to do. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. 
Now, first of all, the plan for provision seems pretty shoddy right here. Like, let's go from this place where we have supernatural provision, birds are bringing me food, and you're going to bring me to a widow? Like, she, she's, she's not in a position to employ herself. Like, she's not, and you get there, and you find out she's almost out of flour and food. In fact, she has come to grips with the fact that this is her and her son's last meal. Upon arrival to the situation of provision that God called him to, he's finding out that they expect to run out of food and die. And it's amazing to me that his reaction to the situation wasn't like, wrong widow, like let me go knock on a different door. His reaction wasn't an expectation of just earthly provision, like it's all going to make sense. That wasn't his reaction. His reaction was, this is where God has sent me to, and so what you have, God is going to use to make it enough. Like, it didn't make sense to look at, but seeing it through the eyes of faith, he understood, I have to walk through this by faith, not just what I see. And God spoke to him and said, what she has is going to be enough. And so when God calls you to a situation, and you know it's where you're supposed to be, and it looks like it's not going to work out, you have to take courage. You have to take courage. And you have to stick through it. You have to expect, and and band, if you guys are around here, I'll begin to wrap this up and and pretend like I preached all of my notes that I have here today. But I think that this is good. I think God has got the message through a little bit today. You have to take courage when it looks like there's not going to be enough. Because I I anticipate, and even before with the ravens, I, I anticipate, like, how long did it take where their head said to them, This is probably your last meal. I mean, the widow, like she had looked at her jar and she had already made the decision, like this is enough for one more meal and then that's it, it's over. And then there's this question that will pop up, like is this the last time the ravens will provide? Is this the last time that there will be enough in the jar? I mean, just this whole famine that Elijah spoke to King Ahab, it lasted three and a half years. I mean, can, can we compare the three and a half years to what we're eventually going to be approaching here with COVID? Like, like things have been difficult in our nation for a couple years now. But I'm going to tell you, even the difficulty that we've seen with COVID, it doesn't compare to the difficulty they were seeing with three and a half years of famine. Life was rough. And provision was moment to moment. But provision wasn't from the ravens. Provision wasn't from the jars. There's probably a lot of focus of will the jar be empty. That's not the question that needed to be asked. The question that needed to be asked, is my God faithful? Is my God going to stick true to his promises? Will Will I take courage? Yeah, that's right. Some of you guys are with me. Will I take courage? And the moments in between, because there were a lot of in-between moments. And I, and I want to tell you, you might be in one of those in-between moments where it's like God provided before, but I need him to provide again. And I believe that I'm walking where he called me to walk. I believe that I'm doing the things that I need to do to honor him, but his provision hasn't come yet. And I just want to tell you, you have to make the choice. You have to follow the word of the Lord as it's directed you. You have to be where he's positioned you in the time that he's positioned you and his provision is going to show up. 
And so right now, if things are scary, take courage. And we're going to sing it as a declaration. But in Elijah, man, he had some crazy moments in his life. Uh, he, he had to face off with the king and other prophets and expect God's provision in a miraculous way. The widow's son actually passed away not long after this. And he's like, God, you didn't bring us here for me to watch this widow be without her son. And he, and he prayed and God brought the son back. I mean, Elijah had these moments where it was like, it, it was like being in front of a bear. It's like, you know what you should do, but in the moment, it's terrifying to try to do it. And I get that some of you guys will be walking through those circumstances where the diagnosis, where the job change, where the relationship change, where, where those things happen, and it's like, you have to make a choice. Will you react on response of emotion and be terrified, or will you stand in that moment and take courage? take up your faith and take up your stance where you say I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm going to believe the way that he's asked me to believe. And when my sight won't show me what I need to say, see, my faith will show me what I need to see. So I, I want to encourage you about this. Your God is faithful and you are called. So take courage, church. Stand with me as we pray. Father, I thank you that you were faithful. I thank you that you call us through difficult circumstances. And if it's felt like we've been in a season of being alone or a season of not knowing where provision is, that your provision is on the way. And if there's something that is heavy on our heart, through the tears, through the worry, through the anxiety that we might feel, Help us to take courage in how we live. In Jesus' name, amen.